0: Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. I'm Nathan Walker, Global Performance Coach, here to share principles gleaned from decades of teaching, training, and coaching on four continents. Whether you're a senior executive, salesperson, new parent, military leader, artist, musician, head of a nonprofit, or a student, it doesn't matter who you are, only who you can become. Join me each week to have your brain flipped upside down, as we move together toward a happier, healthier, and much more productive life. Hello, my friends. I was trying to clean out the garage the other day. Well, no, I thought about cleaning out the garage. I didn't do it. But it reminded me of something that happened several years ago. As part of a a church assignment that I had, I was asked to sort of do some special ministering to a particular family that had fallen on hard times. They were really struggling. And as part of that, I went to visit them. And when I walked in, I realized that this was a hoarder home. Now, by hoarder home, I don't mean messy. I mean that stuff had been piled up literally so high that it was shoulder high through most of the areas where I could walk. So I went in the front door, and there was stuff shoulder high. At one point, it dropped clear down to waist high. And I was walking through these narrow corridors, this maze, to a little spot on about half of the couch where I sat and talked with the residents for a while and tried to figure out how I could help them best. The whole thing was a real eye-opener. I know that they didn't start out with a house like that, they started out with a normal house and some things got in there and got a little bit cluttered and then some things got a little more cluttered and then things got pushed off to the side and then some things were too too valuable or too sentimentally meaningful to let go of and then some other things got piled there and then some other things got forgotten and then they had to be shoved out of the way, but it's okay, we could still walk between these ones. And so it went until it was between waist-deep and shoulder-high. And it was astonishing. I'm sure, no, I know, from conversation, that the owners felt completely overwhelmed. They were beyond being able to help themselves, and they were at least emotionally beyond any thought that they could take care of their lives, physically or financially. It was a really sad and difficult thing. During all of that, I thought a lot about how we think and how we get ourselves into the messes that we're in. And we do the same things in our own brains, in our own minds. All of us do the same thing. We start out with some clutter, then there gets to be a little more clutter. Then we think, well, I'll deal with that later. I'll just move it out of the way. Pretty soon it's waist deep and shoulder high. We get up to our necks in our own mental clutter. Now, in a previous episode, I talked about mental hoarding. That's not what this one is about. This is a different kind of clutter, and this is something that we all deal with. And so it's good to have a spring cleaning. It's good to take some time to look at the pathways that we have built and clean them out. In fact, in our minds, it's just as real as it was in the home of my friends. Waist deep or shoulder high, we actually build new neural pathways with some of the thoughts that we harbor consistently. And if our thinking isn't checked and cleaned out every once in a while, those pathways become the only places that we can walk mentally. And it's really difficult. So I'm gonna share with you a couple of things that you might recognize and a a couple of ways to handle that. There are a number of tricks that our brains play on us. Uh, In a previous podcast, we talked a little bit about confirmation bias but some of the clutter that we get caught in this clutter that I have alluded to mentally falls in the category of what's called logical fallacies. Logical fallacies are ways that we think that kind of get in our way. They're not really real. And so we, we get stuck. These things have been known for hundreds and hundreds of years. Aristotle talked often about logical fallacies. Uh, and they fall into about, broadly speaking, about 15 different fallacies. We're going to talk about just a couple of those today. But the important thing to know is that all of us encounter them, most of us perpetuate them, and all of us are sometimes deceived by them. Now, in school, we aren't required to study logic anymore. That used to be a requirement way, way back it was required that a person study logic so that they could examine their own thinking and the thinking and claims of others. And I mentioned that Aristotle even talked about this and talked with his pupils about logical fallacies. So we individually, and as a society, fall victim to logical fallacies, and cleaning these out gives us some space to breathe. We get space to live. We get space to think, to create, to let go of fear, to let go of stress. So I highly, highly recommend some occasional mental spring cleaning regardless of the time of year that it is. So here are a couple of logical fallacies that have undoubtedly shown up in your life and will undoubtedly show up again. And we'll talk about some ways to clean these out so you have room to move and room to breathe and have some space to think. The first logical fallacy is called a false dichotomy. Now a false dichotomy, sometimes called a false dilemma, believes that there are only two options in a given situation. So these are usually seen as black and white, and and there are people who, who for most of their lives think this way. In black and white, we can have this or this, completely opposing ideas. In a false dichotomy, only two options are presented. And in the mind of the presenter, and I'll give you an example in just a second, but in the mind of the presenter, only those two options exist and they are mutually exclusive. They can't exist at the same time and there are only two. There's nothing in between, black or white, on or off, true or false. False dichotomies are usually full of emotion. They're reactionary, they're distressing, they're often fearful or controlling Arguments. And of course, I have to air quote the word arguments. Here's an example. If you don't support what I'm saying, if you don't support my thinking, then you'll never let me have a voice. You'll just go on not caring about what's important to me. False. That's why we call it a false dichotomy. So, did you catch in there that there are only two options support what I'm thinking or go on not caring about what's important to me? Well, those aren't the two options that exist. Those aren't the only two, at least. There are a whole lot of options. I can care about what you're thinking, but see another way of thinking about it. I can care about what you're thinking, but want to caution you about going down a certain path for all of the right reasons. If I didn't care about what you were thinking at that particular moment, that would be a character flaw on my part, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the only Possible outcome is that I'll never support what's important to you. False dichotomies are black and white, on and off, and they're a problem. Here's another example. You've all heard this one. If you're not with me, you're against me. False. That's not true at all. I may not be with you in the way this is handled, but it doesn't mean I'm against you. I may be pulling for you, but I don't think about it the same way. All of us are different people. No two individuals think the same way, period. No matter how much you wish that they could, no no matter how much those of you who are married wish that your spouse would just get on the same train, it's never going to happen. And that's totally okay. We don't mind. Um, Here's another one. All of you who are parents have heard this one. If you don't let me go to the dance, then you don't love me. False. I probably won't let you go to the dance because I love you. There may be a number of factors underneath that. It may be that you didn't do the chores you promised to do as a way of earning the privilege of going to the dance. It could be the person you're going with is driving uh, illegally and is an idiot. It could be any number of things. It's not a sign that there's a lack of love. But when it's given in an emotional way, when that dichotomy is presented, The person is feeling that there are only two possibilities. You let me go to the dance or you don't love me. Obviously, there are more possibilities than that. It could be that if you keep acting like this, I won't love you. But (laughs) no, I'm kidding. But there are lots of possibilities. So false dichotomies are when we see black and white and we usually emotionally present that as the only way that it can be approached. These are the only two options you care about me or you don't, you love me or you don't, you let me go to the dance or you hate me, you believe you agree with what I'm saying right now or you'll never let me have a voice. All of those are harmful. They're harmful to relationships. They're harmful to the giver and to the receiver. The person who is saying this false thing is almost always in an emotional place, incapable of thinking as clearly as they otherwise could, and often limiting their own availability of choices. We don't want that. So that's false dichotomy. If you make black black or white the only options in your communication, it doesn't simplify the communication, and it doesn't simplify the relationship. So what do you do? Question the times you might present a false dichotomy. Ask yourself, is this something that I do? Will I recognize it when I do? And what can I do to open myself to the idea that there may be other options? If you are on the receiving end of statements like this, respond with reassurance first. Reassurance addresses the first thing. If you don't think the way I do, I can reassure whomever is saying that by saying something like, Oh, I do respect your thinking, and I want to understand why it is that you feel this way. I pictured it in a different way, and I can explain that to you, but help me understand a little bit more why you feel so strongly about this. What you say doesn't matter nearly as much as the fact that you said something, and it was reassuring, sympathetic, loving. Let's talk about another, another little uh, logical fallacy that we'll run into all the time. This is called the slippery slope fallacy and again any one of any one of you who has children or a spouse or is a human or has ever talked to another human has run into this one the slippery the slippery slope fallacy is when we we mentally construct a series of events that lead to disaster and along the way each step is a little more implausible than the one that came before it so i with permission from my wife i did actually call her today and say can i tell this story without making you feel bad, I'm going to tell you about the red spatula years ago. And I don't mean months. I mean, probably 20 years or more years ago, I was in the kitchen. We had young kids and she was tired. And I came in and I was looking through the drawer, frantically trying to find the red spatula. That's the one I liked to use to turn my eggs. And I said, and I couldn't, I couldn't find it anywhere. I didn't see it in the dishwasher. I didn't see it in the drawer. And I said, hey, do you know where the red spatula is? I know she was tired. Most of these things happen when we're tired. But the conversation very quickly went from, I don't know where it is, to, why are you asking me that? And I said, of course, because just, I'm just i just looking for the red spatula. Why? Is it because the dishes aren't done? Then it was, I'm super tired. If I take the time to do these dishes, I can't take care of the kids. And now, you, and now because I don't have the dishes done and I haven't taken care of the kids, you don't think I take care of your own children? And you think I'm a terrible mother? I'm smiling now. But it wasn't funny then. It was really hard. So she went. Her slippery slope was, my husband can't find the red spatula he believes i'm a terrible mother well obviously that wasn't true but she constructed a series of things that's why it's called a slippery slope you start to slide and you just pick up speed till you hit the bottom she constructed a series of things that end, ended only in disaster and the disaster was she's a terrible mother um in that case by the way i did try to reassure her but in the in the trying the conversation got to Then why was it, you know, the time when people get, they're so tired that they're crying and yelling at the same time. Then what was it you were saying? What did you really want to know? I really wanted to know where the red spatula was. That was, that was as devious as my motives got. She finally was convinced and we've laughed about it since. That's the slippery slope. Where's the red spatula? If you don't, If you don't get to bed, you're not going to pass your math test tomorrow, and your grades are going to suffer, and you're probably not going to graduate, and then you're not going to get into law school. And if you don't get into law school, then your whole career path is ruined. So go to bed. Probably not. I would imagine that if your son or daughter or friend didn't get enough sleep, it may or may not completely derail their career plans. Now, Is it likely that it could affect their performance the next day and they could be less mentally alert than before? Yeah, that's possible. But the slippery slope argument takes it into disaster way, way too fast. Here's another one. Put your stocking cap on. Mom, it's, I'm warm enough. Put your hat on. If you don't put your stocking cap on, we're going to go out there and you're going to catch cold. And then you're going to get all of us sick, and then we won't be able to go to grandma's for Christmas, and our entire Christmas will be ruined. So get your hat on. Now, I'm not saying any of this because we've experienced any of this, nor that I have been so silly as a parent as to say something that is, in fact, a slippery slope fallacy. But if I had, it might have been something like that. Saying, if you don't put your hat on, our entire Christmas is ruined, that's a slippery slope fallacy. That's not true at all. Now, some of you listening to this are undoubtedly coming up with some in your own minds that you have done or been on the receiving end of, and that's totally normal. But why does it matter so much? Because this is the clutter that forms the pathways that keep you restricted in your thinking, unable to really live, to really breathe, to really open up to new ideas, new challenges, new thoughts, and new possibilities. So, we all, have our, we all have our logical fallacies, and we all mess this stuff up. So what do we do? Here's what you do. Number one, spot them. Now, we're not going to talk about all 15 today. We're going to talk about the two of them. The, first, the one we just talked about was Slippery Slope, and the first one was the False Dichotomy, the whole black-and-white thinking thing. So this week and in weeks to come, practice spotting when you are listening to or perpetuating yourself a logical fallacy. If on the news, for example, you hear a slippery slope argument, you should be able to recognize it. If we don't do this, then millions will die, and da 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 da. So be really careful about that. Spot them. Get really good at spotting them in yourself and spotting them outside of yourself, whether you are the giving end or the receiving end. If you hear yourself proclaiming things in black and white, Argue with yourself a little bit. So that's number two. Number two is argue against, but only in your own mind for the sake of your relationships. Argue against or separate facts from speculation. So take the time to say, okay, am I actually doing this? And if I were holding an opposing viewpoint, what would the arguments be? What would I say in opposition to that black and white statement I just made? if you don't think the way I think, that you don't love me. If you don't let me go to the dance, then you hate me. So practice arguing against your own logical fallacies. So the first was spot one. Number two was argue against them. Number three, know that life changes constantly. Just because something happened in the past doesn't mean it will happen the same way again. Just because something could possibly happen in the future doesn't mean that it will, good or bad happen in the way that you believe it will. So questioning our own thinking and realizing that there are more possibilities than we may have considered is a helpful and necessary exercise. Trust me, thinking about your own thinking can be a very enjoyable thing, unless you're just terrible. Then you'll enjoy not being terrible again. Number four, beware of emotionally charged logical leaps. Emotional reactions are often, and almost always, the enemy of clear thinking. If you find yourself going from here to here really fast, whether it's that black and white false dichotomy or the slippery slippery slope of going from here to disaster in a millisecond, recognize that it's happening and beware of the emotions that are making you do it. Take a moment to breathe and think and allow yourself to examine the idea that it may be a little bit more complex than that. Not in a difficult way, but in a reassuring way. There are multiple options. Things can happen a multitude of different ways. Not everything is black and white, and not everything leads to disaster. The likelihood of disaster increases exponentially when you create it in your mind beforehand. Please avoid it. Number five. So uh I'm just gonna recap these again. Number one was spot these these logical fallacies. Number two is argue against them, at least in your own mind. Excuse me. <clears throat> number three, know that life changes constantly. Number four, beware of emotionally charged logical leaps. Number kind number number kind. Number five, be kind. So I told you in the spatula story that the best thing to do is respond with kindness and reassurance. I'm sorry you're feeling so overwhelmed. I'm sure you're really tired and I know you didn't get any sleep and I think you're a wonderful mom. I can fry an egg without a spatula. I can do it with a fork. I've done it around a campfire and I'll come help you with the dishes during my lunch break and then give her a hug saying, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom and it's bad of you to accuse me. Not the best approach. Number six, enjoy the space you just freed up. Pay attention to how it feels to just ponder, to really think, to breathe, and be grateful for your life. What an amazing thing life is. What an amazing thing your mind is. Keep it clean and running smoothly. Take some time to lubricate the parts that need to move. Clean out the barrel. Do whatever you got to do. Keep your mind sharp and you will enjoy life much, much more. Take some time to think. Share these ideas with others. Share the podcast and enjoy the space. Until then, we'll talk again soon.